Good to see everyone here tonight. Appreciate those jumping on Facebook Live, those that will watch it on the replay, those that will watch it on YouTube and the audio platforms. Again, we thank you for your comments and your likes and your shares. It's always good to know that there are people out there that are hungering and thirsting for truth beyond the religious concepts that we were raised with. Truth is beginning to prevail from the north, the south, the east, and the west as never before. Today we're going to continue on our series of teachings that I have entitled about 20 messages ago, Effortless Living. And what I want to talk about tonight, I think this is lesson number 20 actually, I want to talk tonight about you are the salt of the earth. Next Sunday we'll talk about you are the light of the world. But now what I want to do is I want to go back two weeks ago when we got together, I shared with you on the Beatitudes. I want to do a very short, very brief repeat of that. Now the reason why is simply because we need to keep it in context. You know, if you pull scriptures out of context, as we've all heard, what you create is a con. So we want to keep this in context, when it talks about us being, as we're going to talk about tonight, the salt of the earth, you cannot subjectively, objectively, yes, you already are, but you cannot subjectively walk in being the salt of the earth unless you're subjectively walking in the Beatitudes. They're all in the same chapter. So we have to keep the salt and the light in context with these Beatitudes. So that's why I want to go back and just reiterate a little bit of what we talked about since it's been two weeks, what we talked about when we dealt with the Beatitudes. So if you have your Bibles or devices, whatever you use, you can go to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, we see the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest message. Some say it's 107 verses. Some say it's 111 verses. I don't know. I never counted them. One thing I know, it was the longest message that Jesus ministered. And the first beatitude that he gave us there in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5 was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the word are is not there. And the word are, synonyms of the word are, are to work it up, to become it in the future. So the fact that the word are is not there, it's really saying, blessed the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I shared with you that we are poor in spirit by virtue of our union in Christ. We are these Beatitudes, objectively, we're nearly all of them, we are them by virtue of our oneness in Christ, by virtue of our union in Christ. Because he was poor in spirit, we objectively are poor in spirit. But it's another story to then take that objective reality and walk in it subjectively. So first of all, as I said a couple weeks ago, how did Jesus, how was he, in other words, how was Jesus poor in spirit? 
I'll give you one example and only one example. He never did anything but what he saw his father do. He never said anything but what he heard his father say. In other words, even Jesus, the Son of Man, had to yield intellect, reason, logic, senses, and emotions. He had to yield that to what? The consciousness of the Father within him. So in that sense, Jesus became poor in spirit. Or in other words, he didn't become it. He always wasn't. But he walked it out or he subjectively experienced it by turning within to the Father consciousness and only doing what he saw the Father do, only saying what he heard the Father say. And as a result, the kingdom of heaven was 100% at his disposal. And that was the success or one of the reasons for the success of the ministry of Jesus. Now, Jesus himself said, these things will you do and greater. So in other words, as we are poor in spirit, as we yield in our subjective experience of being poor in spirit, as we yield intellect, our own in and of itself, intellect, reason, what we think and how we can figure it out, as we yield that unto our Father or Christ consciousness within us, then the kingdom of heaven is at our disposal as well. 100% of it is. The next beatitude says, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I shared with you a couple weeks ago (coughs) that the word mourn means to be vexed, and it means to be sorrowful. It has other meanings. And I gave you a little example of myself, how I got a little vexed in traffic one day, and I was tempted to do something. But in the middle of that temptation, I realized, well, I ain't going to do that. My hand started going up. The guy frustrated me in the back. Don't you just love it when the light turns green and someone is honking their horn for you to hurry up and they don't even give you half a second to move? Well, in my pea brain, and it came out of my brain, I thought, I'll just give the guy the bird. Well, in the middle of it, I, I didn't yield to the temptation and commit the sins, plural, of giving someone the bird. I know you all looking at me like you've never tempted to do anything. I know better than that. <laughs> you all holy people. <laughs> but I never yielded to the temptation. But here's the story. Here, here's the moral of the story. It wasn't a second, and I was vexed, one of the meanings of to mourn, that I was even tempted which showed me I wasn't quite in that space (laughs) within myself that I should have been at the moment. So when there is a realization, a mourning or a realization or vexation of the previous awareness that we had that was full of mixture, the mixture of religiosity, then Holy Spirit within us begins to rise up and comfort us. Aren't we comforted by the truth? Yes. Especially the last when no penal substitution began to be taught and some other things, effortless living, and and, uh, what about those bodies? Especially when uh, the last at least five years, we have been comforted by the truth to realize we have never been separate from our Father, except, as Colossians 1.21 says, in our mind or in our awareness. And so, therefore, there's a mourning, there's a vexation when we, you know, think about it. And in our past, about all the squirrely ideas we used to believe 
And let me tell you, there were some squirrely ideas that we used to believe. People are going to be scorched and tortured in eternal conscious torment. Well, that doesn't sound to me much like the love of God. And when you study that out, you find there's no such thing as eternal conscious torment, that people are going to be scorched and torched, and God's going to pour gasoline on their underwear and throw them in the fire. You won't find that anywhere in the scripture. It just ain't there. The third beatitude is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, again, we found out the word are is not there. We're not trying to be meek. Objectively, we already are by virtue of our union in Christ and our oneness in the Father. We already are meek. But blessed are the meek, those who walk in that meekness subjectively, it goes on to say, they shall inherit the earth. Now, is it talking about that earth? Or is it talking about this earth? Well, primarily it's talking about this earth. I know people today that think they're going to rule nations out here and they can't even keep their house clean. Well, now that's another story. I'm not trying to get into that, but I'm just simply saying a lot of people have squirrely ideas. One day we're going to rule the world. Well, we'll see. If we can't rule here, how do we think we're going to rule the nations? You see? So we have to first rule our imaginations, which an allegory for nations is imagination. So blessed are the meek. It means gentle. Meek means gentle. And it also means strength under control. You're not going around and preaching to everybody. Do you know tonight you can be scripturally right but spiritually wrong? And a lot of people in religiosity today... Their main focus is to see how many people, you know, they can get saved by preaching, you know, a sin-conscious message. But you see, the meek, those that are gentle, those that know how to control the strength, even the spiritual strength, those that have that ability and walk in that subjectively, they're the ones that have control over the earth right here. The feminine principle of our being is called earth. The intellect, the reason, the logic, the emotions, and the five senses. We were made of earth. So earth symbolically is speaking of our feminine principle. Now what we want to do, as we all know, is we want to yield the feminine principle, the intellect, reason, logic, senses, and emotions, to our Christ mind, to the right side or to our Christ mind, which is the masculine principle. And it's going to take the yielding. Jesus always yielded. He never did. He never did anything without first consulting the Father, turning within. The next beatitude is to hunger and thirst after righteousness and be filled. Do we have a hunger for the truth? Do we thirst for the truth? And if we are hungering and thirsting to know the truth, then we're going to be filled. Now, that word filled is an interesting word. It's pleroma in the Greek, and it means controlled by If you and I are hungry for truth, not religiosity, not mixture, but truth, we're going to be filled or controlled by that truth as we live from the inside out rather than from the outside in, rather than from a set of rules and regulations, rather than from what religion taught us many years ago. See, the title of the series is Effortless Living. We truly are not really living the spiritual life, or some may say the Christian life, if it's not being lived effortlessly. Right. 
if it is based on external rules and regulations or even your Bible in an external sense, because the word's written upon our heart and upon our mind. To live the spiritual life is to live it effortlessly. Just like a tree doesn't wipe its brow and struggle to bear fruit, it doesn't because it's a tree. And there's only one life, and we have the life of the Father. There's only one spirit. There's only one power. There appears to be others, yes. But there's only one. And as we live from the one life, we're truly going to be living effortlessly. It's not by might or power, Zechariah said. But it is by my spirit, and you can put the word consciousness there. It is by the consciousness of Christ within us. And then in verse 7, the next beatitude, blessed or happy and fortunate, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, that sounds like that one scripture where it says, and it's here in the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. Well, it doesn't say that. And I'm not going to get into that tonight, but it really doesn't say that. If you study that out, and we'll have to do a message on that sometime. A lot of those words were put in there by the translators. But what it says here is, Blessed the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So it sounds like if you don't show mercy to someone, you ain't going to get it back. That's not what it says. The word obtain there means show mercy. So blessed the merciful, for they shall show mercy. See, and we are a part of Melchizedek priesthood. We are a part of the priesthood. What do priests do? Well, they reconcile mankind back to the Father by showing them the truth. And they show mercy. So blessed are the merciful. Blessed the merciful. When you take R out, not trying to be merciful. We are mercy personified via our oneness in the Father and in Christ. So if you are mercy, you're going to show mercy. You're going to show mercy. The next one in verse 8 is, Blessed the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now this was my favorite one, and of course most of you know why. This word pure is the Greek word katharos, K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S, and it's where we get the word catheter. So put a catheter in your heart tonight and drain out all the mixture. What is the catheter? It's the Christ mind. Put on the mind of Christ, as Paul said numerous times. Put on the mind of Christ, which means slip into like you slip into a garment. And, and listen, you don't try to slip into a garment that is in another room. So in other words, you already have the garment in your hand that you're slipping into, that you wore here tonight. So to put on the mind of Christ means I automatically, because it's right here in me, I slip into this mind of Christ like I slip into a garment, and that's the catheter that drains all the, you know, dilutes and and, and the mixture that is still maybe yet in our heart awareness, the Christ mind will drain it all out. I love that. I never knew that a couple weeks ago until I looked that word up. I was astonished. Catheter? Catheter. Put a catheter in your heart tonight, folks. I put a catheter in my heart when I was tempted in traffic the other day. And I was glad I did. But I was still vexed that I even had the temptation. But anyhow, the next one in verse 9, the next beatitude is, Blessed the peacemakers, for they shall be called, it says children, but it's really sons of God, huios, and huios is matured sons. So be a peacemaker. Not a peace faker. 
a peacemaker. Everywhere we go, because we are peace by virtue of our union in him, what do we do? We emit that peace. We emit peace. And you know, you can walk in a room, and if you're walking in that peace subjectively, everybody knows it. Because you bring that sense of peace into the room. And then in verse 10 it says, Blessed they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the key is for righteousness' sake, not stupidity's sake. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. And, of course, we know there's a scripture in Timothy that says, All, not a few, all who live godly shall suffer persecution. You're going to get it, folks. And it's not so much the words that you speak, but it's the lifestyle that is counter to the lifestyle of the world. And Jesus said we're in the world, but not of the world. So what does it mean to be of the world? It means we have a mentality or a consciousness that is external. I mean, it could just be religion. Not just necessarily the world out there, but just religious thoughts and mindsets and ideas, you see which is really what the devil is. Hello. It's not some entity out here lurking around. It is those religiosity mindsets and and the false ideas that we have of the Father. Like in one of the little John books, little children keep yourselves from idols. Eidolon is the Greek word, and it means just false concepts and ideas about the Father. That is of the world thinking. So we're in the world but not of the world. So therefore... They're going to see our lifestyle, our subjective lifestyle of this, and they're going to persecute you and laugh at you and make fun of you. But I count it an honor to suffer in that manner. And then lastly, in verse 11, it says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. And what are we to do about that? Oh, oh, they're so mean to me. Huh? No, rejoice and be glad. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. See, but we don't want that. We don't want that for the most part. Most people don't. And that's why many times they're afraid to make any waves. I don't mind making waves if I'm led of spirit. But I have to know that's what thus saith the Lord for that moment. So so now jump on down to verse 13. Now we get into the salt and then the light. And we're just going to talk about the salt tonight. But can you see that subjectively you cannot be walking as the salt of the earth if you're not walking subjectively in the Beatitudes? That's what I meant when I said you got to keep it in context. Otherwise you create a con. See, we can't just throw out, you're the salt of the earth. Even though it's true objectively, by virtue of your oneness in Christ, but we can't just throw that out because it is in relationship here to the Beatitudes, if you keep it in context. Now, notice what it says in verse 13. Ye are, this is objectively, you are the salt of the earth because you're one in Christ. He salt, your salt. But if the salt have lost his savor... Wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of man. Now, first of all, 
Salt cannot ever lose its savor. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. It always keeps its savor. And that's why it says if, not when the salt. If. Now, the reason why salt can't lose its savor, but it sounds like it could here, is because the salt is a metaphor for you and I. Salt is being used and light is being used as a metaphor for who we objectively already are. If the salt, see, not when the salt, because salt can't. But you as salt and I as salt can you lose the savor. It's a metaphor. So now let me first of all start off with looking at three things that salt does. What are some functions of salt? You know that in the natural you can ingest too much salt and die. Your body can only handle so much salt. That's why I encourage people, you know, if you want salt, get, uh, they have different kinds of salt. Himalayan salt is good. There's different kinds of salt that people, you know, if they really have a, a taste for salt. But you can die with too much salt. Now, the functions, though, spiritually speaking, number one, salt is a purifier. Number two, it is a preserver. And number three, as we all know, salt seasons. Now, it happens in this order. Purify, preserve, and season. And so, let's look at salt and its function in this order. And first of all, in order for us to operate as the salt of the world that he calls us, or the earth that he calls us here, what we're going to do is we're going to, is we're really, is we're, if we're subjectively walking, really walking as the salt of the earth here, we are going to bring about purification, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those people that we come in contact with. Did you know that salt, and I'm sure you all do, salt is an antiseptic. People will put a certain amount of salt, if they have a sore throat, in a glass, you know, and gargle with it. And it's very healthy. Number two, salt, a function of salt, is a preserver. It's a preserver. We are the salt of the earth to be a, listen, a deterrent to religious decay. When they put salt, they would put salt before they had refrigeration. They would put salt in meat. And what it would do was draw the moisture out of the meat, which kept the meat from decaying. In other words, it preserved the meat. Do you know they used to... Thousands of years ago, they used to pay people for work that had been done for them with salt because salt was so valuable, and then they would go trade that in for another commodity. In Numbers chapter 18, 19, it was used instead of leaven since leaven is denoted as sin and corruption. Salt was also symbolic of the eternal covenant of God with his people. And as I said, they used to pay people with salt. Salt was and is symbolic of fidelity, purity, and friendship. Now, let me have you go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 talks here about this salt as a preserver. And what is the order? Purifier, and then preserver, and then to season. So Mark chapter 9 Verses 45 through 50, referring to the second use of salt as a preserver, says, For everyone shall be salted with fire, 
And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Verse 50. Salt is good. But if, here again, if, not when, if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Wherewith will ye season it? Have salt, listen to this, have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. And then in verses 42 through 47, it says there that our hand, and what does our hand speak of? Service. Our foot, what does that speak of? Our walk. And our eye, what does that speak of? Our focus must be our service, our walk, and our focus must be seasoned with salt because salt denotes grace. So our walk, our service, our focus must be with salt. Very important. Now, lastly, one more here. Of preservation, salt doesn't make something good, but it keeps it from becoming bad. So in other words, it can also be applied in that sense to keeping people from religious decay. And of course, we know we are to subjectively walk in what this salt represents. For example, in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Who would that be? Those who don't name the name of Christ. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Now listen to this. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So salt includes wisdom and grace. And then in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, it states there that our conversation, and another word for conversation there is lifestyle, must manifest the good works intrinsically. You know, you got two Greek words for good. One is kalos, the other is agathos. The akalos, uh, agathos, excuse me, uh, good is simply external good. Doing good just to be seen, to make a show. But then you've got Kahlo's good, which means intrinsic good, that good that comes from the inside. The Agatho's good is the good from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. The Kahlo's good, the intrinsic good, is from the tree of life. So we want to be partaking of the tree of life so that our good... See, we're not trying to do good to earn salvation. You couldn't earn salvation if you wanted to. But yet the scripture talks about the fact that because you have salvation, you do Kalos good works. Okay? Now, another scripture is Titus 2, verses 7 and 8, where we see salt as preservation, where it states, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works... In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, verse 18 or verse 8, sound speech, which is salt, that cannot be condemned, that he that is in the contrary part, those that don't name the name of Christ, may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. So you see, when our hand or our service, when our feet or our walk, when our eye or our focus is reflecting the salt that we are, when it's reflecting or manifesting it subjectively, it's going to be, it's going to preserve. It's going to preserve. 
It's going to be a preserver of people's lives that don't name the name of Christ when we speak truth to them, when we speak life to them, when we speak love to them, it must be seasoned with salt. And it will be as we're living from the inside out. Now, lastly then, salt is used as seasoning. And as Matthew 5, 13 states, but if the salt lost its savor, salt can't lose its savor, there's no way. So we can see here that it's talking or using salt as a metaphor for people. But if salt have lost his savor or flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? For example, if you put salt, a little bit of salt, not too much, but a little bit of salt in the natural on bland food, what's going to happen? You're going to change the taste of that food. It's going to appeal to you. It's going to taste good to you. So since here we are described as being the salt of the earth, our very life, focus, our words, our walk must show people the growth and the maturity of our lives and always express or reflect the love of Christ and the truth of the word of the Lord. And this must be declared to people See, the word declares to us that people are seasoned with salt and seasoned. We just read it back in Matthew there, or Mark. People are seasoned with fire and they're seasoned with salt. And the fire, of course, is the coarse correction. See, God in his love corrects us. Absolutely. It's the coarse correction. That's the fire, you see. And the salt there is when the Holy Spirit, our Holy Spirit, quickens and conceives the truth within us in our heart awareness, you see. That is when we become expressly and subjectively the salt in our walk. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 14. I'm almost done. not going to be long tonight. In closing, let us see what can cause the salt to lose its savor. As verse 13 says, and again, that's not talking about natural salt because it cannot lose its flavor or savor or taste. So the salt has to be metaphoric of people. And in Luke chapter 14, verses 33 through 35, we can see that the only way for us as the salt of the earth to keep the flavor of our saltiness that we bring to ourselves and that we bring to others and that we season people with grace and with truth, there's only one way that we can keep the saltiness in our lives. And that is just as Jesus, I'm going to read it to you here, in verses 33 through 35 of Luke chapter 14, Jesus was poor in spirit as we began the Beatitudes with, meaning what? He didn't do anything. He said, I of myself can do nada, nothing, zero. I can do nothing in and of myself. What I see the Father do, Christ consciousness, what I see him do, I do. What I hear him say, that I say. So now look what it says here in verses 33 through 35 in Luke chapter 14. First verse especially. So likewise, this is how you can keep your saltiness and not lose the savor or the flavor of your spiritual life. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all, let me read it again. 
Likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So you got to pay your tithe, people. What's the tithe? It's the beanie brain in your head that tries to lead your life with intellect, reason, and logic. <laughs> now, we need to bring the Christ mind to the brain, and we're not trying to throw out the intellect, but join the intellect with our Christ mind, then the intellect becomes spiritualized, or the logic, or the reason. So your tithe is what? They tell us we use 10% of our brain. So you got to pay your tithe. You got to give up your time. Not nothing to do with money. You have to take that ten percent. Oh, I know the church has just ripped us apart with all this tithing and money thing. That's why people now halfway don't want to give anymore because they don't trust anybody. Of course, you saw on Facebook Live. I'm getting a jet, but anyhow, <laughs> that, that was that was put on there by Miss Candy here as a joke. With your permission. <laughs> With my permission. I'm taking it off of my page tonight, but anyhow, it caused a lot of, uh, a lot of comments. <laughs> what? How can she do that? And then someone said, oh, she's becoming like some people. I'm not going to mention names, <laughs> but it was a joke. It was a joke, but I'm just simply saying, what was I saying before that? Now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so... Here it says, now look at verse 34. Let me go back up to 33. So likewise, oh, you got to give your tithe, yeah. Oh, your tithe is what? That brain. Now, what we're, we want to bring the mind of Christ to the brain. We want to join the feminine principle with the masculine principle and involve the brain, but the brain operating in and of itself, the intellect, the reason, the logic operating in and of itself, it'll lead you down a bad path <laughs> unless you yield it, as Jesus did, to the Christ mind. Then the two become one together, right? So verse 33, salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? How can you lose your savor? By not yielding the intellect, reason, and logic. By not giving up, doing it your own way. Okay? It is neither fit, verse 35, for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, one of the reasons that he worded it like this, where it says it's neither fit for the land, is because they used to use salt to fertilize the ground. So that's why he said it in the words that he said it here. It's neither fit for the land if it loses its savor. But he's really talking about people here. So in other words, he's saying, if we keep and we can keep our savor as the salt of the earth through yielding and giving, forsaking all, yielding everything, doing nothing but what we hear Father say, saying nothing but what we hear him say, doing nothing but what we see him do, And notice he didn't say that we are the sugar of the earth. (laughs) You are the sugar man. You are the salt of the earth. And see, that's why we dealt back in Matthew 5, 11, and 12. That's why that it talked about the persecution and being reviled because salt can cause an individual to get a little uncomfortable. You begin to minister truth. It's not sugar. You're not sugaring down the word. But sometimes when you minister truth, it can bring a correction to people. 
And sometimes if you put salt in a wound, sometimes that can hurt like heck. See? So the word sometimes also can be as a fire that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. So you see, back in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, where it states that if the salt loses its savor and no longer functions as the salt that it is, one major thing that happens is there's going to be a mixture that will come out of you. See, when they used to gather the salt from the, or when it was garnished from the seashore of the Dead Sea, also known as the Salt Sea, what would happen was they would get sand mixed in it. And it would be impossible, nearly impossible to separate the salt from the sand. And so therefore that constituted a mixture. So you see, salt in and of itself doesn't lose its savor, but it can become mixed. And so we don't want to lose our savor by becoming mixed with religiosity. See, Babylon simply means, I heard someone this morning say Babylon means confusion. No, it doesn't. Babylon means confusion by mixture. A little truth and a little untruth together creates a mixture. And so this is what happened when they went to garner, you see, the salt from the sea uh, shore or from the sea, they would get mixture get it mixed with the sand and they could not separate the sand and so therefore that constituted a mixture and the same way with us there can be a mixture so many people today the majority of people that call themselves christians there's a mixture there there's some truth but there's some untruth and so what we want because we want to bear fruit that remains rather than fruit that is born and it's here today and gone tomorrow we have to get the mixture out. Get the mixture out. And where do we get it out? By putting the catheter in our heart awareness. That mind of Christ is a acts as a catheter to drain out the mixture so that you can bear fruit that remains then. Rather than fruit that is temporary. And that's what I'm after. I'm after teaching truth that will cause people to eventually bear fruit that remains. And they bear that fruit effortlessly, not by trying. Now, if we are subjectively being the salt of the earth, we will bring a deterrent to religious decay. Like I said before. In preserving, they would take salt and put it in meat, and it would it would soak up the, the 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 water or the moisture in the meat, which would prevent that meat from decaying. So, as we live this lifestyle of being subjectively the salt of the earth here, and we consistently speak with grace, the salt of grace, it is going to encourage people and it's going to keep people from being involved in all the things of the world, as Jesus said, don't be involved in. Flee from that. It talks about people that are, come out from among them. Come out from among what? Unbelievers? No, it's talking about coming out from among those that are in religiosity and speaking a mixture. So if we walk in this salt of the earth that we are subjectively, We bring seasoning to people, purification to people. We bring flavor to people. And we begin to see their life slowly but surely take on a whole new manifestation and fruit. And it's fruit that remains. Now, 
The phrase here, you are the salt of the earth, is indicative rather than an imperative statement. What does that mean? In other words, Jesus is not saying here, you must be salt. You better be salt or else. You should be salt. It's not some external rule that he's giving us, giving the people here, mainly his disciples. He's not saying that as some external rule or law. You better or else. No, he's just simply saying, you already are these things objectively. And as you walk in the consciousness, the heart awareness, and those truths have been conceived and quickened within your projector, the awareness, which is a projector, it'll project the right thing, the God thing, out into your life. Now, in closing, let me give you some other characteristics of the salt. Besides purifying, number one, preserving, number two, and seasoning, number three, for example, salt is refined. In other words, the impurities are removed from the salt. And you know what? The quickened word does that to us. It does that to us. Remember, we talked about the pure in heart, and we found out that when you put a catheter in your heart awareness, which is the Christ mind, it will refine your belief system. It will refine those things that you hold to be the truth. Number two, salt melts. It melts, you know, they've been putting a lot of salt in the streets and the roads. Why? It melts the ice. Salt will melt the ice. But in the spiritual realm, it will melt bitterness, prejudice. Through what? Through the word that has been conceived in our heart awareness, which is a womb, and quickened there. It'll remove anything, like the catheter, any impurities. It'll remove anything that we don't want to have in our life to be a manifestation of the salt of the earth, subjectively. Salt also, and everyone knows this, creates thirst. There will be something about us as we subjectively walk as the salt of the earth. There'll be something about us that will cause others to thirst and to hunger from the truth and to desire what we show and what we manifest. It'll create a thirst. It'll also create, it, salt is palatable. In other words, it adds taste and flavor. There should be something about each and every one of us that brings more flavor and meaning into people's lives than what they are experiencing right now. Salt is precious. In Jesus' day, salt was a rare commodity. It had way more value than it has today. And that is why at one time when people would work for the ancients, they would pay them with salt. If a slave did not meet the expectation of the job that the owner gave them to do, they would say, they're not worth their salt. And you hear that today. Oh, well, they're not worth their salt. What does that mean? They don't work well. They don't get along well with people. They don't change people's lives. Salt penetrates. It it permeates throughout the food that we put it into. Therefore, listen, it represents allegorically to us that we do not have to toot our own horn or make a whole lot of noise. You know, you've heard people say, well, you know, the gospel should be preached with as few amount of words as you can. Right. In other words, salt will penetrate. It'll yeah. permeate, you see. 
And when we're walking subjectively in this salt, when we are carriers of the good news of the gospel, it will permeate people's lives even if you don't say one single solitary word. And lastly, why are we the salt of the earth? Because of what we shared from verses 3 through 12 about the Beatitudes. We're spiritually rich because of being poor in spirit, right? We are rejoicing in a comfort because of mourning or vexation. We're kings and we're rulers because we are meek. And the main thing we rule is our own being. Rule the nations, the imaginations. You know, you have divine imaginations, but you can have vain imaginations. So as meek, meek people, we what? We rule in our feminine principle, the earth part of us. We're filled or we're controlled when we hunger and when we thirst after righteousness. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, it says, and you shall be filled. Meaning again, pleru, you shall be controlled from the inside out. We're priests of God because we what? Always show mercy to people. Doesn't mean you're not going to get mercy if you don't show mercy. No. Obtain means show. As priests, we show mercy. We're pure in heart because we put the catheter in. Might have to put the catheter in every day, but let me tell you, eventually it's going to become normal and natural and organic for you to live the spiritual life. We're peacemakers because we know our oneness in the Father. We're heavenly people. We're not an earthly people because of enduring persecution. We're heirs of God due to being reviled. We shall inherit the heavenly reward. Now, let me just talk about the word inherit. A lot of people believe that, yes, we're going to inherit something in our future. The word inherit means to subjectively experience. That's what it means. Not inherit something in our future. He is all things in us, through us, as us. We've inherited all things already. We've inherited him. Remember, there was a priesthood that only uh, got houses and lands and so forth, but it talks about a Melchizedek priesthood, a royal priesthood, Mm -hmm. a priestly people that have inherited him. See? And so now we're endeavoring to walk in that inheritance, subjectively. It's one thing to know that you are that objectively. But you can't stop there. That's what the people of religions have done. They've stopped there and they're believing to get raptured away out of this hell hole. And yet he has put us here. The earth has been given to the sons of man. We're to bring the restoration here. But uh, most of the Christians want to fly away to a heavenly glory called a rapture. Well, I'm being raptured right now. Yes. I'm experiencing that anointing that's lifting me up and rapturing me. It means to love. Rapture really means to love with a love embrace. And by the way, do you know who started the word? The first person that started to use the word rapture was Buddha. Oh, tell the Christians that. They ain't going to be too happy with you. (laughs) Right? Yeah, but they want to all get raptured out of here. I want to stay and affect the earth. This earth first, and then that earth. So we are the salt of the earth because first of all that's who Christ is that's who he is as us but we also must desire to subjectively walk in that and be that subjectively in every aspect of our life 
every aspect of our life. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the light of the world. Objectively, by virtue of your union in Christ, he was light, you're light. Father is love, you're love. Your love, your light, your life, your salt, your kings, your... I could go down, saviors, deliverers, all of that objectively. But you know what? If we think we're just going to fly the heck out of here, we'll never subjectively experience and walk in that and affect other people and affect the earth as well. So, Father, we thank you tonight for your love. Thank you, Father, for who you are in us, through us, and as us. Thank you for an eye to see, a single eye to see, a single ear to hear, for a heart that is circumcised that can come to the understanding and the knowledge of these truths. Thank you that Holy Spirit within us is quickening, conceiving and quickening these truths within our womb, our heart awareness, our projector, that will then effortlessly and organically and naturally project it out into the world. We thank you. Bless you. Thank you for this people here tonight. Let them have a year 2024 like they've never experienced before concerning the spiritual aspect of each and every one of their lives. We bless you. We love you. Amen and amen.